Hey, Bricago, this is Khalif here. I have some dope, dope news for you all here. Uh, we have a special episode this week. Uh, we're going to drop this alongside our normal show. The wonderful folks over Indie Mega Booth had their Breaking Barriers panel at PAX East this year. Last year, I had the pleasure of moderating it. Uh, and this year, it was back again at PAX East with a fantastic grouping of folks uh, to share some of their thoughts and feelings about you know how to build bridges and break down barriers within the gaming industry. Uh, moderating this year will be Allegra Frank, who is amazing, Kelly Wallach, Blair Durkee, Steve Philby, Z Yang, Jennifer Schneiderite, and Stephanie Tinsley Fitzwilliam. Again, thank you so much for Indie Mega Booth for letting us rock with this and share this with the world. Definitely check out their blog post that goes along with this that's dropping today. And definitely check out all the wonderful things that Indie Mega Booth are doing throughout the year. Much love to you all and peace. Hello, it is Sunday and PAX is almost over and I think we are all very awake and excited. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you guys for coming. This is the, God, I keep getting all the words mixed up. Building bridges. Breaking, breaking barriers. barriers. Yes. I keep saying building barriers. <laughs> like, that's not right. Um, presented by Indie Mega Booth, uh, which is awesome. They have a mega booth on the floor, so hopefully you guys have checked that out. Uh, my name is Allegra Frank. I will be moderating today. I am of the Polygon show, formerly of Polygon, and now I'm at our sister site, Vox.com. Uh, so I want to introduce you guys to our lovely panel, and then we can get into it. I think it'll be really interesting. So I'm going to start right here from my left. Um, if you guys just want to say your name and where you come from, where, you're, where you work, uh, your title, a little bit about what you do. I'll uh, start here. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I work at Tinsley PR. We're a boutique PR firm in the video game industry. I've been doing it for as long as I can remember to the point where I am not qualified to do anything else in my career. Hello. Uh, and I work on everything from AAA games all the way down to like two-person little pixelated indies made by like, you know, a dude in a basement in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Blair Durkee. Uh, I work for GLAAD and I do um, consulting for gaming projects. So if you're not familiar, GLAAD is the world's largest LGBTQ media advocacy organization. Um, our mission as an organization is 100% lived acceptance for the LGBTQ community. Um, and the, one of the primary ways that we do that is by advocating um, for authentic stories of LGBTQ people told in media. And of course gaming is a very important medium. So I do, try and do um, advocacy around representation in games and in the community, esports, journalism, industry, um, trying to take a holistic approach to uh, making sure that LGBTQ people are represented in the industry and in the community and characters in games as well. Hey. I'm Z Philby. Uh, I'm based out of France. I work with a work, well, it's a company, but it's a workers' cooperative called Motion Twin. We made a game called Dead Cells. Um, so we're mostly interested in just making games, but we're also uh, interested in more equitable outcomes for people who do work in games. So, you know, we have a company structure with no boss. We're all paid the same. We all work the same amount of hours. Um, kind of a little bit of a different setup to what a lot of game studios happen to have at the moment. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Kelly Wallach and I run the Indie Mega Booth, so the area with all the indie games um, out on the show floor there. Uh, I am also the chairperson for the Independent Games Festival, which is an award ceremony for indie games that's held at GDC each year. 
Um, I do another thing that I guess I don't think I can actually publicly talk about yet, but it's also cool. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of the work that I do in my work is around building communities, and a lot of that community is um, focused on positive contributions to the gaming community and to the industry in general, um, and also to make like an inclusive and, inclusive and diverse community that people feel safe and, and welcome into, and how do we help to lift those people up um, so that they're more prominent in the industry. That's what I do. Hi, I'm Jennifer. I'm a German programmer and game designer. I'm based in London in the UK. I've been making video games for 13 years, five years in AAA, and uh, now uh, it's my eighth year as an independent developer. My company is called Nyam Nyam. I'm currently showing uh, our new game, Astrologast, with the Nimega booth, and I'm excited to be here. Hey, how's it going, everyone? My name is Z, and I am the founder and team lead behind uh, a studio called Serenity Forge. Uh, we are located in Colorado. Um, I think uh, probably the most uh, uh, recognizable game that we have done so far is a game called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Uh, we are a primarily a narrative uh, studio that focuses on creating uh, more, more meaningful, more kind of artistic experiences that challenge the way that you think about the games. Uh, we are currently working on a game called Half Past Fate, which is a romantic comedy game uh, that we were showing with in the Mega Booth. Yay. Yay, awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, so something I think is really cool about this panel is you guys all have sort of myriad experiences, very unique, different experiences, where you come from, what you do in the industry, and it, it sort of speaks to the fact that there is this sort of diversity in the industry in terms of what there is to do. but. What sort of we're all here for is that in <laughs> we're trying to work toward making that diversity beyond these sorts of types of things that exist in video games, types of roles. Um, we're trying to create a more diverse body of people and games. And I'm curious how each of you sort of work toward that. Um, what, what do you do in your very distinctly different roles that is sort of focused on diversification and representation, and whether that's you having to stand up as someone who is a representative for any marginalized group, or um, how diversification plays into the sorts of projects you make. Um, I might start with Z down there. What kind of role does diversity really play into your day-to-day? So uh, this is a this is a very uh, I, I guess uh, a serious thing that we had to address as a team at one point. So uh, Serenity Forge has been around for five to six years at this point. We started the team out of college, and uh, being a bunch of college kids uh, coming out of school to work on games together, we were, uh, I'll be honest, we were just a bunch of dudes who were uh, working on games, uh, you know, uh, essentially getting uh, other dudes <laughs> to work on games together. Uh, and it was, it was, a, it was a pretty, uh, it was a not, not a very diverse workplace and uh, kind of almost in a way kind of a toxic uh, working environment for, for a pretty long time. So. A couple years working in, uh, in games at that point, about uh, 2016, uh, we finally f had our first uh, uh, female employee in our in our team, uh, Kirsty, who is now our director of development. Uh, she uh, kind of brought in such a unique energy in our in our team, and as soon as that happened, we realized that we were doing something wrong, and and we had to fix it immediately. Uh, so since then, uh, we uh, so at that point we were like not out of the nine people that were on the team, one was female and then the other eight were uh, were uh, men. 
So um, we realized that this is something that we had to change, and uh, instead of interviewing for people uh, that are just like ourselves, we decided to uh, kind of go for a more of a top-down approach and uh, decide to uh, start hiring people who are not like ourselves. Uh, therefore, uh, you know, we started expanding our team to be, uh, now uh, we are actually at a stage where we're primarily a female-led uh, creative team. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have uh, just uh, people from all sorts of developers, from all sorts of walks of life, uh, working with us uh, either as full-time employees or contractors and uh, that's something that if you look at the history of our team uh, the different games that we have worked on in the past uh, that it has created a tremendous change and now we are at a way more comfortable place where we are way more proud of the work that we're doing too so that's uh, definitely played a huge part in our in our uh, in our careers hi so I don't really advocate for diversity, so my approach is, um, I, I founded my own company eight years ago, and one of the reasons for that was, so I used to work in AAA, and when I was in AAA, I noticed uh, that the things that I said were often dismissed or not properly heard, or that when I had good ideas, you know, even things that made it into, into the game, uh, that these ideas were often attributed to the men that worked close to me on, uh, on a certain feature, and so I really felt like a creative, um, and a creative as well as a career, a kind of like ceiling. And uh, since I was a child, since I was six years old, I always wanted to make video games. And I knew that I wanted uh, to make, you know, make my own creative visions come alive. And so I started a company eight years ago with that goal. And so I guess my, I'm kind of like a representative of what can female creativity be? And is female creativity really different from male creativity, you know, or people that don't even identify as male or female? And so the way that I work is um, I come up with, uh, with concepts for video games that I want to make. And then I find uh, specific people who I think, uh, you know, will, will work really well for that concept and people who are very passionate about that. And often it turns out that I end up working, you know, with, uh, with other women in um, obviously creative, like in lead creative roles. But also the men that I select are men that are actually interested and able to uh, listen to a woman, you know, to understand uh, what what kind of a creative vision a woman has and who are able to work towards that creative vision. Um, because I think maybe, unless you've made that experience yourself, it's like kind of hard to understand why, why are men particularly not able to support a female, you know, a female vision? Like, what, what's Jennifer talking about? Why is that so difficult? But just to say, in my experience in AAA, but also when I was, you know, with my own studio, it's actually quite hard to find men that listen and understand what I say and support my creative vision. Hello. Um, yeah, I mean, we do a ton of curation work, so I think my lens kind of comes from like a curation standpoint. And when I first got into games, so my background is in the sciences, so I worked as a chemist before this, which also does not have a ton of women in it either. Um, and it wasn't something I honestly ever really thought about. Um, I mean, I was definitely like the only woman in a lot of my like math classes and um, in lab classes. 
Uh, but once I started working in interdisciplinary work, and so I was working in, in basically biochemistry, um, that actually tended to lean more female, which was really interesting to me. And so the straight sciences, like straight up math, straight up physics, straight up chemistry, was still predominantly male. But when you started making combinations of those things, um, there was actually a lot of women that were involved in it. Um, but when I'm, it, there wasn't too many conversations around it. It was just something that I kind of like noticed and that um, you know, I, I kind of, I think, was subconsciously carrying with me. But when I moved into games, there was like tons of conversations around it, and I felt really intimidated and kind of weird about it, because I, I was like, I don't know, I just want everybody to be working together, and like kind of why does it matter if you're a guy or a girl, or you know, if you're part of some other community. Um, and the more I got along in this work, the more I realized, like, um, I guess kind of like the systematic issues that lead into things and the kind of subconscious biases. And I think through curation, one of the ways that um, I like to make a difference is, um, is to put a representation out there very publicly that will let other people know that it's possible for them as well. Because I think there's um, a lot of importance around having like um, mentorship and role models. And so one of the examples that I've used in the past before is like we were at first like we got interactive fiction games sent to us like very early on and other people that were helping me curate were like, I don't like these games, you know. Uh, and I was like, well, this isn't the games you like showcase you know like in my mind this is a showcase for like people who like all different kinds of games um, and so I intentionally put that stuff in there just because people seem to have this kind of response to it uh, and so I think what that kind of helped to generate was then when fans come through they're like oh interactive fiction is a totally viable genre of game and then that resonates with people and the people who make interactive fiction games see it and then they're like oh cool if I submit my interactive fiction game I have an opportunity to get selected uh, and so, you know, over, over the long term, that creates more opportunity for people to feel that it's possible for them to succeed um, in making something that's going to get recognized. Uh, I do similar work around the IGF as well, too, so making sure that we have really diverse representation of people on the juries, which are the people who make the selections for what games are going to be represented, so that when content does come through, they have, like, a good cultural lens um, to be able to understand what, what they're seeing. Um, but when it was kind of first starting out, there just wasn't a lot of it, to be honest. But from like a, a fan or a consumer perspective, like if you come through the mega booth and you see three interactive fiction games, you don't know whether somebody, if I only got three interactive fiction games sent to me or if I had 150 interactive fiction games sent to me. Uh, and so I think we're, we're really careful about balancing like a, a overall representation of genres. Um, and because it's a high representation of different genres, um, it also like creates a high representation of the types of people who are making the games and the types of people that feel that it's possible to submit to us. Um, so it's kind of interesting for me that this has kind of become this core tenant of the mega booth and the community and the work that I do. Because when I came into it, I just was basically like, if you're good at what you do and you're not an asshole, like you're welcome. <laughs> like, and that's fine. Like, I don't care what else is going on, you know, around like. Um, uh, you know, your background or who you are or what you represent. And I thought that that was just like a thing that everybody was okay with. Um, and so kind of making, making this a, a core center of stuff, you know, now that I understand the systems around it has like evolved into this more kind of diversity focused thing. But like the original intent was just like, we should just get all the cool people together and cool people come from everywhere. Yeah, so um, with us, we're pretty much an all dude team um, based out of France and I'm probably like I'm not really sure if that's something that's been intentional but um, one of the things that we've noticed is that because we're a co-op when we have uh, people join the team it's a long and um, arduous process to get in because once you're in you're an equal owner of that company 
and you can influence literally everything that is happening. If you want to have a say about who the accountant is, you can. If you want to have a say about the art direction, you can. And it doesn't matter whether you're a programmer or an artist or, or a marketing person um, like myself. And so we really focus on um, uh, making sure that we're finding people who we can depend on uh, in terms of their competence and people who have a certain set of social skills. Um, and one of the problems that we noticed uh, is that having this situation where everyone can have a say about everything is tiring because they do quite often. Um, and so you're in like continuous like combat with people like arguing about things and defending your opinions. Um, and so it is good to have uh, WS ideas and it is also good to have people who are able to articulate them in a non-confrontational way. And so we've noticed that when we have uh, an overpopulation of testosterone, that can go out the window very, very quickly. <laughs> so um, it's been great to have Noemi join the team recently because she sort of just brings in, um, she's a younger person as well. She comes from a different generation to a lot of the older guys, uh, just a completely different perspective to certain things. And she's the type of person who has the capacity to articulate and defend an idea. Um, and that's been wonderful for us. She's actually led the charge on the development of uh, two new levels in the game. And this is like straight out of university. So basically what we're trying to find is ways that we can um, make our, our work life less uh, stressful just by having different uh, opinions and people who are gonna be maybe a little bit less um, brute force about things. Uh, and it, it just makes life easier. I mean, it just seems like a good idea, really, to, to not have all of the same personality types just butting heads continuously. Um, I mean, and th like that's on our, our sort of inter like inner company working uh, perspective, but realistically what we're also trying to do is much more externally focused because, you know, we're a workers' cooperative, so we're all about, um, you know, equal pay for equal work and everybody taking advantage of what they're creating. Um, and that's an idea that we found has resonated with a lot of people. It's like uh, adding diversity into the gaming community uh, in the idea space as opposed to just the, the representation of the people. Um, so that's something that's been super interesting for us to see, particularly in this, uh, this, this year in the GDC with um, Kotaku actually covered uh, our company structure last year and that blew up because there's this weird idea that doesn't exist in, in this like company structural space over here in the states that comes in and everyone's like that can't possibly work and we're like well we've been making games since 2001 so you know we have a feeling like it kind of does um, <laughs> so i think that's that's another part of this that's important is just um having different uh structural setups that allow people to uh, to have an experience of their working lives that is completely radically different to having a boss at the top sort of punching down saying this is how it's going to be <laughs> so yeah So I kind of come out of this from a little bit different perspectives because I'm not, unlike I guess everyone else on this panel, I'm not in the games industry per se, I'm kind of peripheral to it. Um, my job is more um, existing kind of on the outside, on the edge, and then making the argument to the games industry as to why diversity is important and, and it should be um, a focus, right? Um, I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that <laughs> diversity is still a controversial topic within the games community and industry. Like, not everyone is on board. Like, I think, I think it's awesome that we can have this panel and we can have that assumption that at least if, 
if you're coming here to this panel, you're probably on board, but for people outside this room, we can't necessarily make that assumption, right? We wish we could, right? We want to get to that place. Um, and I think that's why it's important to have these kinds of conversations. Um, because I think a lot of times you hear um, arguments that are made that are really rooted in ignorance. Um, a lot of people, because of their privilege or what have you, they don't really understand why this is such an important thing, right? They think, you hear things like, oh, it's diversity for diversity's sake, right? It's, it's like this pointless thing, right? Um, and so I think while that might be rooted in some sort of bias or um, bigotry or whatever, uh, sometimes it is just ignorance. And so I think we do need to make the argument as to, no, actually, you know, there's, there's actually a problem here. And so, you know, part of the title of this panel is breaking down barriers, right? And barriers are causing harm to people, right? They're preventing people who want to get involved, who want to have their contributions recognized, right? It's actually afflicting um, tangible harm, right? And so diversity is actually about making the, the games industry, making our society as a whole um, a better and more equitable and fairer and more pleasant place to exist and to live, right? That's, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what we're all about, right? It's just not, it's, this isn't some navel-gazing kind of uh, esoteric debate, right? I, I, I like to kind of bring, I don't know, at least for myself, I like to, to, to remind myself of that point, that this really is about um, empowering people that are currently um, held back by the barriers that exist. And so um, when it comes to my work, you know, I, tr I always point out, um, because when you're talking to developers and, and companies that are making games or, or even doing things around gaming with content creation, things like that, um, a, lot of, a lot of their concerns are business focused, right, as you would imagine. Um, and we like to remind them that, uh, you know, diversity is a win-win, right? It's, it's not a, this isn't a zero-sum game where it's like, oh, okay, you know, we can put a little diversity in here and it might cost us some money or, no, 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 it's actually, it's actually, it actually benefits everyone, right? Um, and there's a lot of assumptions that, okay, well, if this is the best thing, then this organically would just happen because the market would decide and blah, blah, blah. But that's actually not necessarily the case, right? Like companies can actually have blind spots that prevent them from doing the, the beneficial thing for their bottom line. That's, that actually does happen. Um, so at GLAD, we try and you know, get, in, get in the room with some of these um, companies. We do this particularly um, in the past, we've done this with film studios, television studios, things like that, and make the argument for why diversity is important, both, you know, when it comes, again, when it comes to film and television, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, and then in games, you know, we want LGBTQ developers, and of course, we're also talking about other underrepresented groups as well. Um, why it's so important, because having, having, you know, by not having that representation, you're limiting your audience, you're limiting your potential, um, and that does affect your business uh, as well. Uh, so uh, it's important to always remember why, why we're doing this. It was. So kind of taking off what Steve said and a little bit what Blair said, and 
in in my job, I want I want to maybe just steer it a little bit more specific to what I do on a day to day basis. When when I sit down at my desk, I'm I'm throughout the course of my day going to work with anywhere from five to ten different developers or publishers, and the one very specific tactical tangible thing that I can bring to every day that I am helping these folks figure out how to communicate, build their audiences, build their communities, is to be mindful of their language and to be mindful of their position in the world. And it has not always been obvious to me personally. And it has, it's usually not obvious to whoever is on the other end of the phone or, or the Skype channel or whoever I'm talking to. So. For me, and, and I, kinda, I don't want to get too stuck on this topic, I want to I keep my answer pretty short as far as you know, what, I, what I bring to diversity in terms of what I do every day. Um, as, as a gay woman who acts as a consultant to many, many different companies, it's partly my position to remind people that there are different audiences out there from yourself, whether it's a developer or a publisher or a marketing person or you know, creative director, and to try to remember that, to put themselves out of the bubble and to be mindful of the language that they use, whether it's in a tweet, a Facebook post, a conversation they're having, a panel they're doing, press release we're putting out. Little things matter. And when you start, you, when, you, when you ask yourself, oh, diversity is such a huge problem, what can I do? How do I fix it? I'm, you know, Joe Smith, white guy from Europe. How do I fix it? Well. One very tangible thing you can do is start paying attention to the language you use. And this is put into practice almost every day of my career. Um, instead of saying, hey guys, say, hey team. And that's, I'm guilty of that as of probably 35 minutes ago. <laughs> saying, hey guys. <laughs> it's just, it's a lifelong habit that I continue to try to break myself of. Um, or just, I, I call everybody dude. <laughs> just, <laughs> and that's problematic. Um, but um, just to try to be mindful. You may not succeed every time, but just if we're talking about what I bring to the table in terms of something that I can talk about that's very specific, very detailed, very tactical, tangible, um, just the littlest things in communication. Uh, because once you start paying attention to those little things, it's gonna open your mind up to a lot of the bigger issues that you maybe haven't been thinking about in your role as CEO at your company, or whether it's, you know, marketing director, whoever at your co-op, or you know, Blair at Glad, or or whatever. No matter who it is, the more you think of, well, probably not you at Glad, because that's what Glad does. But the rest of us, <laughs> um, it it definitely, um, it, it's the littlest thing that you can start doing will help change your mindset in such a much larger way. So that's what I try to get people to start thinking about. Yeah, that's a really awesome thing to remember. Um, in terms of, yeah, something as small as, small, quote unquote, as language, right? It seems to us just, hey dude, hey guy, like, <laughs> that's the thing that's so impulsive and ingrained in us. And I think that sort of speaks to how the sort of burden sometimes as individuals who have to sort of embody representation or diversity in these groups that we are part of, whether or not 
that's you know the only woman in an all-male team or the only person of a certain sexual orientation or ethnicity. Do you guys ever feel that that is sort of, oh, I have to be the only one and I am the only one who stands up for you know everyone else saying, hey, dude, how, how do you sort of deal with that on a day-to-day or just in general when trying to <laughs> diversify? Alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, that does help. Um, <laughs> Most this, things. This, so I'll jump in just very quickly on this one. Yes, as as often the only gay woman on a lot of my teams, on all of my teams, um, I am I am I'm the twofer. I'm a woman and I'm gay. So I must be an expert in all gay issues, right? And I'm <laughs> I am an expert in LGBTQA. Plus, and I know I'm. I know I fucked that up. Uh, I know there's a letter I'm missing because I'm. I use that as an example because I'm not an expert. And I was just tweeting about this um, bef- about a few minutes before this panel started that I have not always been the best advocate for the LGBTQI. T-A-plus um, banner. I haven't been. It took me a really long time to understand some things, um, and I eventually got there, and I understand now, and I'm, I'm glad for the lessons that I've learned, but just because you have a woman on your team doesn't mean she's an expert on all things female. Just because you have a black person on your team does not mean that that black person speaks for every single black person, and that's something that I think we all fall into that hole where we're like, oh, well, you're Middle Eastern, so you must know all about everything from the Middle East, or like, you know, uh, you're a lesbian, so you must know and speak for all of your, you know, gay brothers and sisters. Um, That's not the case. Everyone has different life experiences, and everyone has a different basis from which they start. Um, I I feel like as as a a gay woman of a certain age, (laughs) I look at the younger generation, and I'm floored by how open they are and how free they are with their sexuality and how their sexuality is not the basis of who they are. It is the foundation from where I start as a human, but it isn't for them because they have been afforded more freedoms than I was when I grew up. Um, The other day, just for an example, uh, I drove by this girl on the street corner and she was wearing a white t-shirt it just said dyke on it. And I was like, that you are my hero. <laughs> because at, you know, she looked like she was like 12, because after, after the age of 30, everyone under 20 you know, looks like, I have no idea how old this girl is. She was probably, I don't know, in her, I don't know she was maybe like in her teen, late teens, early 20s. Um, but I, I was just like, I've never been that cool. Like, you know, like, good for you. Um, but her life experience and her knowledge of other sexualities and genders and the fluidness and non-binary and you know just just everything that falls under that banner she has such a greater knowledge of it and a more nuanced um, experience with it than than I ever did and I I constantly feel like I'm playing catch-up so when I'm um, before I joined so I uh, I was asked to be on the GLAAD Games Advisory Council and before I stepped into that first meeting I think I made about six phone calls to people that I considered to be greatly smarter than I was in this particular area because I didn't, the last thing I wanted to do uh, was step into that room and say something totally stupid, like, why do we need diversity? Which I would never say, but among those lines. So um, talking to people who, 
who are experts in their fields don't just assume that just because you have a woman on your team that she's the, the knowledgeable of all women's issues everywhere or a black person or a gay person or whatever. Um, but yes, I'm often put in the position where I feel like I am supposed to speak on behalf of, of everything. And I'm often the one that raises the flag and, and says, please don't do that. You know, like, please, no, don't. You will, you know, you're going to burn your brand down if you, if you do that. Please don't do that. Whereas, you know, a lot of other people either don't notice or they don't say anything or they're afraid to say something. Um, whereas I feel like I'm constantly being the one that's like, all right, you know, fuck, I have to say something. I have to be the person that, you know, bring, you know throws the wrench into the, the wheel. So... This is um, one of my favorite XKCD comics is it's like, and I actually used this in a slide recently, it's um, the one panel is a guy doing math and the person standing behind them saying, you suck at math. And then there's a girl doing math and then there's a person behind, behind them saying, girls suck at math. <laughs> and like, I definitely felt a lot of that in the sciences, like this representation of like, if I fail this test, like I'm failing the test for all women ever. Right. Um, I actually had a professor when I was, it was a differential equations class and it's like very hard and I got the highest grade on one of the tests and I was the only girl in the class and the teacher is like basically like you boys should all be ashamed of yourselves because you got beat by a girl. And like at the time I was like proud of that because I was like yeah, fuck you guys. Um, and I look back at that and I was like that's awful. Like that's yeah. super awful. Like that took a lot away from like the fact that I worked very hard to like get the best grade in the class and also like realizing the kind of subconscious around that of like knowing that I needed to also be the best at you know at this class to prove the fact that like I deserve to be there um, and so you know I and this talk that I use that slide for is like around the idea of funding and the idea of getting diverse content out there is because we also create these situations in funding where it's like you fund one woman or you fund one gay person or you fund one black person and then the game doesn't do well and they're like, ah, you know, women can't make video games, they're not worth funding or like, you know, like this content doesn't sell. And so there's like literally no space for failure um, that's built into it where like, you know, the, it's, it's an acceptable part of the creative process for a lot of people that like you are, you are allowed to fail and you're allowed to fail in like very creative and weird ways. And so I think you know, it's really important to create this structure where there can be creative failure by people from all different walks of life. Um, and part of getting the, the content out there is like, kind of what to Stephanie's point is that, you know, we're used to seeing very nuanced stories from like, um, you know, from a certain perspective. And that's kind of like, you understand that there's all this diversity in the way that people can think and feel or whatever, but like that's not explored in a lot of like considered like marginalized communities. And I think that once that stuff is out there, like more people will recognize like, okay, like this one person or this one idea doesn't represent like everything because there is nuance to be allowed um, in the stories and the creative storytelling. And, you know, I think we're starting to see that in movies to some extent. And it definitely is like, fairly prominent in indie games specifically, um, but you know, I, I would like to see that kind of like filtered up a bit more just so that it's not this kind of cultural expectation that, yeah, one person can represent all of these things because as far as you know, like, you know, the only gay person you've seen on TV or something forever was like Ellen, so it was like Ellen was just every gay woman for a really long time because that was like all anybody had ever seen. <laughs> So, well, so on that note, I want to ask a question, and feel, anyone feel, feel free, and I'm sorry, Allegra, uh, if this sort of side, side, like railroads what you were no, going to ask. No, please, but, but I but want that you guys up, to do the job But it's a really interesting question. Um, so you have this field dominated by, you know, straight white dudes, right? And, um, which, <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. Uh, you know, it's okay, Steve. Um, no one's, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. Um, but you have this, we've created this, world where if straight white dude tries to make a game that depicts 
a trans person or a black person or the struggles of women, that then he just gets crucified by the community at large because, oh, well, thanks, straight white guy, for making this game where, you know, you're trying to tell the story, like, you know, are we not allowed to tell each other's stories? And does that create this atmosphere where, and this is a really good example, um, the, there's a game called the Red Strings Club that was made by a team of three out of Spain who I represent and, and work with, and one of them is trans, they are poly, they are all in a relationship, and they are three of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life, and I love them. Their game came out, their game was brilliant. It looked at a cyberpunk future dystopia of you know corporate espionage and it was this narrative adventure game and it was just it was really well done and it dealt with um, uh, an issue uh, with one of the trans characters and when it came out um, it was absolutely lit on fire by um, the one of the writers at Waypoint for doing trans wrong and how dare these people uh, make this game about trans people, how many trans people worked on this game, I want that patched out and I want an apology. And I, I went to the gym at noon and at 1.30 I came back to my office and I had 17 emails and 16 missed phone calls and Twitter was on fire because of this article about, you know, just absolutely roasting these developers for not doing trans right. The game was developed by a trans person. <laughs> you can't win. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you touch any of these topics, and if I'm a straight white dude, I'm not even gonna try to do something <laughs> like that because well, what if you get it wrong? I, I can jump in on that as, like, <laughs> <laughs> as, as the straight white dude, but no, as, as more as a marketing manager, because um, my job is to make sure that that shit doesn't happen, you know, like, that's literally my job, is make sure that no one says anything stupid, whether it be, you know, like, saying Xbox is shit, or, which I just said, um, or, <laughs> or saying the, you know, like, anything offensive that could be offensive to any sort of groups, and so, um, from that perspective, it's, it's again kind of like what you were saying about it being a business decision. It's just like a no-brainer. Just don't do anything that's going to mess with your brand. Um, and so we're, we're very conscious about that kind of stuff. One of the things that um, community was bugging us about is that um, our, our game is, has this little green blob. Um, so he's kind of androgynous, I guess, but he's just a blob. And he takes over dead bodies, so it's kind of gross. Um, but these bodies are, are male sort of personages, I guess. I mean, they're all decapitated corpses, so it's kind of just gross. Um, and community's been bugging us about getting some decapitated female bodies in there. Um, and that's been on the backlog for ages. And so when we hired Noemi, um, I was like, cool, you're going to make these female skins, right? And she laughed at me and put it back in the backlog and was like, dude, we've got stuff to build. So you, got, you, can't, you can't kind of just assume um, bad faith, I guess. Uh, and you can't assume, again, to talk to your, speak to your point, that just because you know you have someone who's part of this particular group, that they're going to prioritize that mm -hmm. as the thing, because right. you still have to make the game, and like that's the context yeah. of what we're doing. It's like just ship the game. Um, so yeah, we, we we would just tend to stay away from anything uh, that might get us in trouble from a contentious perspective. But it's not necessarily because we're not willing to take on that subject. It might just be because we don't have time. <laughs> like, like for example, with the female characters in the game. So. Is it? Sorry, can I just? Um, 
Is it, is it necessarily bad, though, that Waypoint posted this article? Because I feel like at the stage that we are in video games, because we are not very advanced with representation of you know, trans characters, uh, lesbian and gay, etc., I think that would have been, a, if I had been this developer, it would have been an opportunity for me to respond oh, to yes. this article. Oh, we did. <laughs> and yeah, no, I'm sure you did. And you know, like create a bigger um, conversation around this because I'm thinking, so it's something that Blair said to um, me yesterday. She said that the way that Glad thinks about video games is so television seems to be, like correct me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, seems to be fairly progressive at the moment with the representation of LGBT characters and then movies, not so much, but video games, you know, we are even behind the movie industry. And I think that we need to stop worrying about failing and doing it badly. I think it's even okay if we do it badly as long as somebody points it out to us and people, you know, and we, we accept it and we do better. And I've been thinking about this a lot because there are a few movies uh, that I saw, independent movies that um, represent, that had trans characters, but the movie was not about being trans necessarily, right? And I forgot the, I think it's one from Brazil with a woman, um, her partner dies and the family sh uh, completely shuts her out mm -hmm. of that, uh, of the, you know, the, the, the funeral ceremony and there's a new movie with a, with, a, with a trans ballerina, obviously, you know. And I just feel like in movies we need to start looking at the independent movie space and also, you know, what TV shows are doing this right and just learn from them and have a bigger conversation about what games are doing it good, which, which games are doing it really badly, but how can we go forward? And I just keep coming back, you know, when Anita Sarkeesian did her, her tropes, uh, like, like female tropes in video games, like we totally, like somebody needs to pick up from that and needs to make, a, you know, an LGBT tropes in video games and like what needs to be done. And I hope that's something that Blair is going <laughs> to help us with. Yeah, th regarding the Red Strings Club especially, that, that was something that I recall uh, very clearly. I was following that uh, when, because Red Strings Club is one of my favorite games of all time, and that, that game is fantastic. And I actually had no idea the, the development team was, uh, uh, had that type of background until the, the articles started coming out. Um, I remember thinking to myself uh, just how ridiculous the situation is uh, because, so, so we're, we're from Boulder, uh, and Boulder is, you know, we're, we're, we're the typical Boulder hippies as well. And, you know, I, 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 when, you're, when, you're, uh, when you're someone who is very passionate for uh, left side politics and uh, just kind of progressive uh, uh, mindset, uh, I think it's very easy to actually dig yourself into a hole to become ultimately close-minded uh, in the end. Uh, so, and I think that's something that uh, is, is very important to, to make sure that doesn't happen. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a first-generation Asian-American. I moved to the United States when I was 10 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, growing up here uh, hasn't been easy. Uh, however, uh, you know, something I know that uh, is that there's not really much Asian-American representation uh, in any form of media. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the least represented uh, races uh, in, in uh, just American culture overall. Uh, you mean, even, even just, you know, watching movies like Rush Hour, I remember as a kid, you know, like the Asian guy 
guy is uh, clearly the, the the clueless person who doesn't know what's going on. Um, and, and, and and if you dig even deeper than that, the Asians are just the, the kung fu masters who are you know casting uh, weird Asian spells at, at people. Uh, <laughs> that's just that's just how like I I uh, assume that that's what this culture like how I'm supposed to fit in this uh, in this culture. Um, you know, looking at TV shows like uh, 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 the Fresh Off the Boat uh, and uh, Crazy Rich Asians, I mean, like these things, you know, they're uh, they're amazing pieces of work, especially Crazy Rich Asians and you know, all these, uh, you know, all Asian cast, uh, you know, uh, films out there. Um, it's it's amazing. It's not a hundred percent representation of what what like we feel at all. Like it's it's. But, but they're trying, and I think that's really, really important to just know that, uh, just keep an open mind and, and think about how this is just an intermediate step. We're, we're slowly getting there. It doesn't even matter, like, I mean, obviously, they're, they're the agent, uh, you know, uh, producers and directors behind the, uh, behind the films, they do a, a fantastic job at it. But even if it was, you know, a white, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of white dudes in a boardroom thinking, hey, Asians are, you know, the, the next big thing. We're going to go ahead and capitalize <laughs> on, on this Asian-American demographic and then sell them these movies. I'm okay with that. Like, that's okay. Or at least we're making good progress. So I think it's really important just from, like, all aspects of life to be, keep an open mind about how, yeah, even though, uh, you know, it might not be the exact correct way to represent something at this moment, we are at least making good progress. Yeah, I want to just kind of make a quick note. Like, I was um, listening to the, so the NPR radio um, hour, or TED, uh, NPR, like, TED radio hour is, like, one of my favorite, favorite podcasts. It's super good. Um, and they have one about, like, um, gender and power dynamics, which is super fascinating. And I think we're kind of in this stage where, like, there is a cultural awareness around these issues, um, but we're getting into really messy conversations, and there's no, like, right way to be having these conversations and like you know at some point so say like you know you might recognize like oh my gosh you know like my past behavior like i acted in a way that maybe wasn't appropriate or that wasn't um fair to other people and like and so now you have this awareness and this recognition like recognition and then like what do we put in place for folks who you know find themselves in that to, to welcome them into all moving forward and all healing together in this because if we're just having people like finding them and pointing at them and yelling at them because we've been upset for so long, you know, like that's not creating a, a, a place where we can move forward. Like you have to move past the kind of anger part and just accept like, hey, we have all actually suffered from this. You know, like everybody suffers from these, like these systems. Um, and so kind of moving from the state of like um, awareness um, to like acceptance, you know, like accepting that we all play a role in this and we all have to move forward together and then coming up with like what is the action step so like what is the action that we all take together to move forward and so like I think like you're saying you know like having these conversations where it's like it blows up and there's this like craziness um, but then I th I feel encouraged by the fact that that creates a more nuanced conversation mm -hmm. afterwards and like I was talking with Steve on the way here to this panel like you know these are scary topics to talk about publicly and they're scary to like get into um, but I think it's like incredibly important that we start taking a stand on having the, the nuanced, difficult, messy conversations and just having conversations that are good enough and not like perfect because we're all not gonna do it perfect. It's super messy and weird and like it's been going on for a very long time. Blair, you've been trying. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Blair, talk. I have, I have like 25 things racing through my head right now. So I'm gonna try and organize my thoughts and get it all out. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is, I think what we're talking about right here is the exact conversation for the moment that we're in, right? Mm -hmm. As a 
culture, right? Um, and I thought you really kind of summarized it well, Kelly. Like the, the, these conversations we're having, it, it, it's so messy because there's lots of different kind of perspectives and views on this. And um, particularly at GLAD, this is something that we're always trying to balance, right? Is uh, we know that there, I don't want to be cautious about how I say this, but there are people that um, are out there in public discourse who are very passionate and sometimes um, may cross the line into um, just being um, pure condemnation with no path towards yeah. how to do better, right? Yeah. Um, and Ex yeah, right, right. It's not, it's not helpful. Um, while the substance of what they're saying might not be wrong, they're not saying it in a, in a way that's constructive. Um, and that's something that we're always trying to do at GLAD. So some people who are familiar with our organization sometimes think of us as a media watchdog. Um, and in a semantic sense, that might kind of be true, but that's not necessarily how we think of ourselves because we don't want to be seen as an organization that's just slapping people on the wrist left and right, right? That's not what we do. We try to present a positive vision for what diversity and representation can provide um, and why it's so important. Um, so going back to the original question of like, okay, so what does it feel like to be the only person in the room that has to um, deal with these issues of diversity and inclusion at, at companies, organizations that aren't necessarily diverse. Um, that I, I would say that's why organizations like GLAD exist. Um, and so if there are any um, developers here or people that work at companies where um, diversity is um, continues to be a, something that hasn't evolved to the point that you would like to see it, um, there are organizations, um, GLAD, and there are others out there that, that are there to be consultants on to these various topics. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what, like I could go, I could go down the list, but there's just so many to mention. So if you're, if you're dealing with, um, uh, if you're dealing with a game that has um, a, a, a character with a disability, for example, there's Able Gamers as a charity that you can consult with, right? You don't ha have to have someone in your company or organization um, in order to put that representation in your game, right? <laughs> like, the, there, is, there are resources out there. It's not like, oh, well, shucks, we don't have that representation, so we can't do that, right? Like, I hear that so often, and it's so frustrating to me because those resources are there, and people are so willing to provide those resources that you just have to go out there and ask for them. And I, I can certainly speak for GLAD, that is absolutely how we feel. Like, if you reach out to me, um, personally and say, hey, I'm developing, I mean, we've had this happen. Um, last year, I don't know if I can, I don't know, I don't think the game is out yet, so I can't talk about who it is, but had an indie developer reach out to me and say, hey, we're, we're a small development team, we're all um, cisgender straight men, and we're writing a trans character, a side character, um, that happens to be trans in our game, would you mind reviewing the script? And I said, yes, absolutely, for free. Like, like, it's a free resource. We're more than happy to do that sort of a thing, right? Um, and uh, so that, that's what I would say, it's like, the, like the, you don't have to necessarily rely on people um, inside your company and even, even, if you, even if you do have that representation, there is a line that you have to also be careful because it's kind of unfortunate that every person who's an underrepresented group always has to be the, the token like uh, 
go-to person and that gets really exhausting <laughs> like it really does like for people like me like I kind of embrace that as my calling I guess you could say that okay so I'm a transgender woman and so I advocate for I've made transgender advocacy a big part of my um, career path um, but not everyone is gonna want to do that maybe like just because you are this identity doesn't mean you have to be an advocate for that identity maybe you just want to exist as a person right <laughs> like that's a thing um, and so that's why organizations like this exist and, and um, it's so important to make use of those yeah just um, from the like public facing perspective of not wanting to touch issues or not feeling like you're um, qualified to touch issues I think it's, it's also particularly a modern um, thing with social media just like Taking a time if you're writing an angry thing or you're questionable if you're if you're thinking should I tweet this you know maybe just don't <laughs> like that would be a good start or take a breath can't <sighs> we go away from your computer and come back because one of the things that um, I found and even when it's not uh, a contentious issue like with uh, Red Strings Club but like uh, what happened with our game and um and the IGN uh, snafu with the, the the plagiarism whatever of the are you talking yeah, about exactly what could that mean <laughs> um, that went insane and we were kind of sort of sitting there like you know it was that moment of like deer in the headlights type thing like oh crap did we do anything wrong and then we realized that it kind of really had nothing to do with us um and so our position on it was just like okay all right this dude we can all agree he's done some bad stuff but maybe don't dox him maybe don't go to his house with torches and pitchforks you know maybe just everybody take a deep breath and be like all right he's lost his job his career's just going down in flames that's probably you know right that's that's punishment enough can we just move on to the next thing now and so in you know, just being civil in your discourse, I think that's something that needs to, that we all need to be aware of so that we can have these kind of spaces without there being torture and pitchfork moments or, yeah. or then the closing off of space that that creates. And I'll, I'll just, can I just quickly yeah. add, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is I, I do want to make sure that there's a balance in the conversation that's going on because it's really easy to fall, to fall into a trap of just sticking with what's purely totally safe and has no risk involved and that is like to me and my what I do at GLAD like that's that's absolutely not the thing we want to be hearing right we don't want we don't want people to be like oh well if we just write straight cisgender characters then we'll never get in trouble because no one's going to complain about that right yeah. uh, I mean <laughs> the, I mean the tiny minority right will complain to, that's their argument, at least. Um, but I would I would say there's so much opportunity available, and I would say that there are always going to be critics, <laughs> no matter what you do. Um, so you ha so you taking a little bit of risk taking is actually very beneficial in the long run, um, and it creates a cultural movement, right? So right now, anyone that kind of sticks their neck out and does something risky. Um, gets a lot of attention put their way right now, but hopefully in the future there will be a lot, lot more, right? You, I think this is something you see in television, right? You see um, characters all the time that are gay or trans or whatever in, in television, and it's it, the attention is is not quite so groundbreaking anymore. It doesn't doesn't send shockwave through the in industry um, like maybe it did when Ellen came out in the 90s, right? That was like a huge cultural moment and now it's just like oh this show has a gay character and like you know, like you know, most people haven't even, don't even know because it's not that big of a deal anymore um, and so it so we have to have people that take risks 
in order for, uh, for games to get to that same point, and that's what we want to see. I, I just want to jump in there on that, too, because it's something that I'm dealing with right now. I don't, I don't want to go into details because we're still in the middle of it and we're still figuring it out, but um, I have worked on games in the past that have been problematic, and, and on that note of taking risks, when we, we live in such an extreme cancel culture right now. Like, who, whoever, who's canceled today? I don't know. Like, I haven't been on Twitter in an hour, but I'm sure, like, 40 <laughs> people have been canceled for something that they did or said. Um, but there was a game that we worked on that had some, um, looking back on it, it's problematic. We were punching down on a, on a certain um, demographic, and though, it, though the punching down was very unintentional, it was punching down nonetheless. And it took me a really long time to understand that, in fact, we had been punching down. And everybody that I work with has learned from that game and has learned from that moment. And I think that had that game come out now, Oh, I just don't think that that content would have been in there um, because we've learned so much just as a culture in the last few years. But now that developer is coming out with their second game and their second game has, you know, it's like a fun party game and there's no risk elements in there at all. But as the communications person and as the PR person, I have to always prepare for the worst even though I'm hoping for the best. And my hope is that Everyone has forgotten about it, and we'll just, we'll all just move on. But it wouldn't take, you know, it doesn't take a lot to connect the dots to, to say, oh, these are the same people that did this game, and that game had this in it, and what do you, what did, what do you care about to comment about that, you know, a few, you know, a few years down the road? So I'm in the middle of sort of preparing, sort of how do you communicate about that, and what do you do? And, and I think that part of building uh, bridges and breaking barriers is allowing people to grow and there has to be forgiveness culture if we are going to um, to break down those barriers and, and build those bridges. And, and the developers have certainly learned, and we have certainly learned on the publisher side, and I have certainly learned personally. So um, I think that that's something that, I mean, this, the timing of this panel is just like so spot on for me because it's something I'm dealing with literally right this minute at the show where I'm just kind of like, how do I do this? And, how do we move forward with this? And so as, as educational as hopefully this panel has been for you, it's been just as educational for me because I am, I am living it right this moment. But I think forgiveness is a big part of that. Sounds like we should, we should add something to the name, like building bridges, breaking, breaking barriers, and like paving roads to redemption or something. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> paving roads to redemption. It all has to start with B to be on brand. Um, we have about a minute left because this was great. This was very conversational, which is, Awesome. Um, maybe I should give this minute to this this raffle business. All right. Uh, yeah, we have a raffle going on, so I think everyone got a ticket on the way yes. in. Uh, and now we will pull some numbers, uh, yeah. and we'll call them down the road here. And oh, I get to do one too. Give you stuff. And give you free you, things. You may, if you have your number, if your number is called, I accidentally pulled a lot of tickets. That's okay. <laughs> if your number is called, uh, raise your hand and we will hopefully pass along a fun prize. I feel like this is an interesting hard left turn pivot from like a very serious conversation. I'm like, wow, this was fascinating. On the road Prizes. to redemption. Take a pen. <laughs> Paving the road to free stuff. <laughs> road to raffles. Okay. Um, so do we want to start yeah, with me? Okay. 
Oh, can we also, I, I still want to do my little plug of like, um, can you name the, or say the raffle things and then name like one person or one thing or a podcast or something that is like yes. people that you think are like, like fighting the good fight. Yeah, thank a, you. That's great, thing. Kelly, because yeah, I was, let's, let's promote was, some good stuff. That's like that was going to be my last question. Yeah. Then I looked at the time and I was like, no, it's raffle time. We'll just yes, roll it exactly. In. Yeah. If you guys could mention someone who's doing really successful, inspiring work in this field, in the effort of diversity, uh, while you call your call your number uh that would be great so i guess i'll start me um <laughs> uh so something i'm gonna shout out a website that is not any website that i work on uh to be fair i think kotaku actually has been doing kind of interesting work they i've seen since i started in this industry um when i first started and when i was reading them for basically my whole life which is scary for people who work there for when i say it um they had a very white male, like cis male staff, and I've seen them really diversify and in terms of experiences, life experiences, and ethnic um, diversity, sexual orientation. And so when I go to a website like that, I see a multiplicity of people and lived experiences represented, and that's something I think is really cool in games journalism specifically, um, and then it sort of bleeds into the industry at large. Obviously, you know, it's diverse opinions, which not everyone always agrees with, and sometimes can, you know, backfire, uh, go wrong or be misinterpreted, but I think it's just been really cool to see sort of that shift toward an increasing, increasingly diverse body in the journalism side of things. And now I'm going to call a prize. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have, here's the number, 513-6604. Yay. Yay. I know we're short on time, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just shout out um, the development studio Accidental Queens. They're out of France. They are yeah. making an audio-based game right now that can be played by um, the visually impaired and blind gamers. So I think that is excellent um, for the uh, industry as a whole. Uh, the game is called Alt Frequencies, and you can play it on the floor until the show closes. My number is 513-6634. Okay. All right. My number is 513-6601. We're there. Yay. Yay. Okay, uh, so I got to plug what I've been working on for the last year at GLAAD, which is we uh, created a video game category in the GLAAD Media Awards for the very first time. Yay. Yeah, really That's excited awesome. about that. And we announced our winner in Los Angeles just last Thursday, which is the Elder Scrolls Online Somerset, which is an awesome game that has a, a great quest with a trans character in it, and you should check it out. Awesome. Cool. Uh, I've got 513-6603. Uh, I'm going to plug something outside of the gaming industry, Intercepted. Uh, the, that team is doing some awesome stuff, whether it's the podcast or the, um, the articles and everything. They're great. Okay, I have two numbers. Uh, so 513-6631. Okay, 513-6599. Uh, oh, you got it. Awesome. And then, um, yeah, 513-6599. Okay. One more. Oh yeah, I took like a million. Five one three six six three zero. Yeah. Yay. Awesome. 
Uh, I'll give a quick plug for um, Girls Make Games, which is a basically like a summer camp for um, young girls to learn coding and programming and to make games. And it was started by uh, Layla Shabir, who is actually one of our alumni from the Mega Booth, and she is very amazing and awesome. Okay, my numbers are 5136624. Yay. Yay. <laughs> what, 5136615? I'm actually Kelly. Oh, it's <laughs> so I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Pixels, a Montreal-based organization uh, that teaches coding to women and underrepresented people in the industry, uh, as well to Phoenix Perry's work with Code Liberation. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, my numbers are 5136649 and 5136597. Yeah. Uh, okay. 5136617. Yeah. Yeah. One more. All right. 5136623. All right. There we go. So a quick or organization I want to shout out to is uh, uh, the, IGDA, the IGDA Denver branch uh, that recently actually started uh, about a year ago. Uh, it is entirely run by uh, female developers, uh, and uh, it's been uh, just growing tremendously within our state. Uh, we went uh, the first uh, meeting that we had. I think it was somewhere around seven people that showed up, and then the most recent uh, uh, the Christmas party that we had uh, last year, we had 130 people, uh, all developers that were local, and it's just been fantastic. Fantastic. So, yeah. Awesome. Yay. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you. This was awesome. Thanks so much.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>